Blog Talk Radio. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. Then I see a land where children can run free. So take my hand and walk this land with me and walk this lovely. Quite honestly, you're going to need it. Today, this is the Friday, the 24th of November, 7.01 p.m. Atlantic Time, was a day that will live in infamy. It was one of the saddest days I have witnessed in a very long time. And, well, I guess I can't say the saddest, but certainly one of the saddest, because the saddest day that I've witnessed in my life was October 7th, just a, about 49 days ago, and what uh, rampaging Muslims did in Israel. But today was a uh, gross breach of judgment. Uh, Israel negotiated with a ruthless terrorist organization that is bent on the annihilation of every Jew and the eradication of the state of Israel. And they negotiated with these beasts, the very beasts that raped little girls and burned little children alive, thought it was good to kidnap elderly women and 10-month-old babies. And they traded jailed and convicted Islamic terrorists for their innocent civilians. I don't care if the trade would have been 240 innocents for one convicted terrorist. You can't do it. I'm sorry. I understand the great pain that exists within the families of those who are captured, kidnapped in Islamic fashion by Islamic militants. I'm sure that if it was a loved one in my family, I'd be pining for them and pleading for the government to do anything to get them back. 
But when anything is trading convicted terrorists for the kidnapped victims of innocent people, what you show is that you have no moral judgment. What you show is that you are willing to do something grotesquely immoral. What you do is you reward the terrorists. What you do is cause more of it to happen. I watched as Hamas members wearing, of course, their face masks and the Hamas green headband with the slogans from the Quran. Act as if they genuinely cared for these hostages, helping the little old ladies out of the van, putting their arm around the shoulder of the young boy they had kidnapped. One of the little old ladies actually told one of these assholes, oh, thank you for helping me out of the van. It was repulsive. These are the very men that raped and murdered and burnt alive Israelis, and now they're playing nice for the media. And the media lapped it up. And then when the 30-some-odd young Islamic terrorists, probably averaging 17 years of age, were brought back into Gaza, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands lined the streets. They were put on the, the backs of trucks and given flags and saluted as if they were sports heroes. These beasts honor mass murderers and rapists. They flew their fake Estonian flag and the Hamas flag as tens of thousands, maybe over a hundred thousand in South Gaza treated these convicted terrorists as their heroes. All the while, under the auspices of Fatah, there's a new woman's organization where the women are saying, we are now going to be students of the Quran, and as a result, we too will be terrorists. We too will learn how to kill Jews with automatic weapons. We too will celebrate the great suicide bombers of days past. Scores of young Muslim women whom the media would say are innocent civilians training to eradicate Jews. To see that scene in Israel today, out of Hamas today, curled my stomach. Now I realize Israel's in a very tough place. As I said the evening of October 7th, there's no way for Israel to prevail. This is a lose-lose scenario. And the thing that I'm the most concerned about is that uh, Israel doesn't have leadership. And they've just now been played for fools 
by the fools of a Islamic terrorist organization, Hamas. Everything the world is going to do over these next five or six days as this ceasefire is drawn out is going to be to garner the world's sympathy on behalf of the terrorists who have put their own women and children in harm's way as human shields, wanting them to die so that they become a cause celeb around the world, to do as Joe Biden, disgusting human being, did in his speech today, taking credit for doing what is illegal in America, negotiating with terrorists. That's a crime in America. He nonetheless did it and then said, more than ever before, what this proves is that we need the two-state solution. You're going to reward the Islamic attack on Israel of October 7th by giving these beasts the state. That's your solution? You're out of your ever-loving mind? What happened when George Bush demanded that Israel vacate Gaza? They built miles of terrorist tunnels. They brought in all manner of weapons, and they launched a hideous attack destined to destroy Israel. That's what they did. So what if it was an independent state? Then Israel can't even go in to rid them of these weapons. Don't you know that is precisely what Hamas bargained for? The credibility of getting back Islamic terrorists and this pause that has the world calling for the two-state solution, the final solution against Israel. Rewarding terrorists with a state of their own. Why don't we just call it the state of terror? It's an apt name. If leaving Gaza unoccupied for the past 20-some-odd years resulted in what we're witnessing there, where every building has been weaponized, schools, hospitals, UN facilities, apartments, children's bedrooms, all of it weaponized to kill Jews. Imagine what would happen. Gaza was an independent country and could import any manner of weapon they wanted, along with the Fatah terrorists and Islamic Jihad surrounding Jerusalem. What would happen? That's what the Islamic world is demanding. It is what Europe and the United States is demanding. It's what China and Russia are demanding. 2,000 jihadist murderers, rapists, arsonists managed to bring this on Israel. So that the entire world has turned against them. Mm -hmm. 
and such that it's now a fait accompli, that they will be forced to accept a state of terror in their midst. And that is the purpose of this hiatus, declare a state of terror for the destruction of Israel. Weasels, and unfortunately, Israel doesn't have the leadership to prevail. Israel's constant stated goals that they're going to wipe out Hamas. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Right. Hamas is right. Islam. You're not going to wipe out Islam. Islam is Hamas. They're inseparable. Hezbollah is Islam. The leadership of Iran is Islam. Saudi Arabia is Islam. Egypt is Islam. You aren't going to eradicate Islam. I wish you could, but you can't. There's almost two billion of them. Yeah. And as for damn sure, you can't root the Islam out of Hamas. Looking at the way tens of thousands of jihadis gathered in Gaza to celebrate their return of terrorists. This is an unwinnable war. Unwinnable. You know, mm-hmm. It's far worse than America trying to slash around in Vietnam, attacking communists and manufacturing 100 for every one they killed. This is far worse. Far worse than America invading Afghanistan and Iraq and thinking somehow they were going to install democracy in the American way, (laughs) making a bad situation worse. This is far worse. And the inevitable is a hundred times what happened on October 7th. That's the fate. And all the while, the world has fundamentally changed where it has become open hunting season on Jews worldwide. Didn't have to be this way. Years ago, someone in Israel could have said, you know, this uh, myth now that's being promoted of Palestinians has got to go. We're going to make it illegal in this country, in the media or anywhere else in politics, to use the, the name Palestinian. There is no such thing as a Palestinian. There hasn't been a Philistine for 2,500 years. There's no place called Palestine. It was the lie of Hadrian. It's obvious. Make it illegal to even utter it in Israel such that no Israeli politician or media person can write it or say it. And that everybody, when it's mentioned, says if you're going to speak lies and you have no interest in having an honest discussion, then go away. I won't be part of this conversation. The Dome of the Rock and Aska Mosque had to be bulldozed. 1967, you had your opportunity. Again, 1973, you didn't do it. They're a scar on the Temple Mount. Mm 
They're an Islamic trophy. And as long as they are there, they will continue to invite hell against Jews. And somewhere along the way, somebody in Israel ought to have taken responsibility for the worst book ever written, the Quran. The primary contributor to the Quran were rabbis, more so than anybody else. They sold Muhammad recitals from their Talmud. He claimed they came from Allah, and when Jews mocked him for claiming that his God inspired something that they had sold to him, well, he was a psychopath, so what do you think he did? He silenced them by cutting off their heads. And from that point on, the Quran turned viciously anti-Semitic. Rabbis, you manufactured this enemy. And yet, when it's obvious that you did so and that your stories permeate the Quran, you don't have the ethics, the character, the courage to admit that you were wrong and expose it. I've spent the last couple of months rewriting what was Prophet of Doom, now goddamn religion. I'm now 250-some-odd pages into volume two of what will now be four, pa- four volumes. And the primary difference between the first pass and the second pass, beyond the fact that now I'm comparing Allah to Yahweh, because they're opposites, is that rather than citing a passage from the Quran that proves a point, I'm citing the entire surah. And as I go through each surah, I am systematically exposing and condemning what it says. It is the worst book ever written. You have to be a complete nincompoop to think this book came from God. It is utter trash. Why isn't someone in Israel, people whose lives are dependent on exposing and condemning the realization that the problem isn't Hamas, it isn't Fatah, it isn't Hezbollah, it isn't Iran, it's Islam. And yet you won't say it. It's obvious. Allah is Satan, absolutely unequivocally. Yes. And you won't say it. Why? Why does it take a goy to bring this to your attention? And even when he does, why are you unwilling, unable to take it from there and save yourselves from this blight? I'm going to return to where we were uh, at the end of our last program. We were talking about the snake in the desert and how he impugned himself with the uh, claim that he uh, eradicated uh, the uh, people of Tuba. You see, Allah has a little problem. Allah can't do squat. Allah is completely impotent. He can't perform a miracle. He can't deliver a sign. He couldn't even deliver a goddamn book. There was no Quran until a hundred years after Muhammad's death. No prophecies, no miracles, no sign, not even a 
speck of interest within the Quran that was even the least bit moral. Nothing even original. Must have pilfered from 75 to 100 different sources, many of them pagan. It is a hodgepodge. It's an amalgamation of religions. Mm-hmm. And at all that time, he couldn't do squat. So what is Allah do the only two things he can do. He says, back in the past, I annihilated community after community. How many towns have I destroyed? I caught them unaware. I eliminated them. And now I'm roasting their sorry souls, no, bodies, in hell. One after another. Repeating it to the point you get nauseated. How many of these towns have we destroyed? They're all fictitious. None of them ever existed, with the exception of the people of Tuba. And that turned out to be the very harbinger of Islam. Tuba is the model for Muhammad. His god was our Rahman, who is the first deity of the Quran. So Allah has to threaten people, cause them to fear and tremble and capitulate by telling them all of these fictitious places that he has terrorized. Man, there's only one thing worse than terrorizing civilians, and that's bragging about terrorizing civilians that didn't even exist. It means you're not only psychotic, you're delusional. Welcome to Allah. And then the second thing he says is, ah, If you don't believe that, then I've got another one for you. In the future, when you least suspect it, is going to come the day of doom, the day of resurrection and torment, when I'm going to take the bones of everyone who has died and I'm going to resurrect them. Why? So I can torture them. Fear me. That's all he's got. I was a terrorist in the past, and I'm going to be a terrorist in the future. Fear me. That's it. In between, that's what I call the never-ending argument, which there's 400 iterations and a little over 100 surahs. Never-ending argument is, this is absolute rubbish. Mm-hmm. This Quran that you're trying to recite to us, nothing but fables. You stole it from other people. It's not true. This is sorcery. Oh, no. No, no, no. You can't say that about my guy. You say that about my guy when he's giving you the true signs. I'm going to see to it that you're tortured. And you will want to get out of this torture as I burn you alive, but never will I allow you out. It's a never-ending argument. Not only... Is it about Muhammad? But Adam had the same argument. Noah had the same argument. Abraham had the same argument. Moshe, the same argument. The Christian or the Islamic Jesus, Esau, same damn argument. Always the same argument put on the lips of people. One to two, three thousand years before Islam even existed. This is Allah's little problem. 
So let's uh, pick up the uh, Quran recital. We're at uh, 3137. <clears throat> Many similar ways, systems and dispositions were faced by nations that have passed away before you. So travel through the earth and see what was the end and demise of those who disbelieved. Yes, this is Allah bragging that there were lots of nations that you'll see around the earth, you just travel around, that were destroyed by Allah because they disbelieved. And I've been in somewhere around 160, 170 countries around the world. Never seen one. Never seen one. Mm -hmm. I'm a pretty good student of history. Never has there been one. Never. 138. This is a clear statement for men, a guidance and admonition for those who guard. I'm threatening you. If you don't pay attention to these fake places that I wiped out before because they didn't believe me, I'm going to get you. My warning. So, do not become weak against your enemy, nor despair, and you will be superior in victory if you are indeed believers. Yeah, that's what they think. That's why they're rioting around the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. Those people who in every which way are inferior. You know, compare Islamic countries and life in, in the Sudan and Somalia and Yemen and uh, Libya. Uh, and uh, Algeria, and Syria, and Lebanon, and Iraq, and Afghanistan, even in Saudi Arabia, where women have no rights. Look at these hell holes and compare them with the West. Well, the West is quickly becoming hell holes because they invited the fungus, this disease, this plague, to enter them. Yep. So this is uh, Allah's claim. Yep, if you really believe me, you'll become a killing machine. You'll kill them. And we will be superior. If a wound has touched you, be sure they are also inflicted, Allah said. And others suffer a similar wound. If you're wounded, make sure you lash out at them and wound them even worse. And so are the days we give to men by turns that Allah may test those who believe and that he may take martyrs from among you. And Allah does not love the wrongdoers. I'll take martyrs from you so long as you're out killing those who don't capitulate. Quran 3, 141. This is so that Allah may try the believers and destroy the unbelievers. I think this is a war against all humankind. You think mm-hmm. Hamas was acting yeah. independently? You think no. Hezbollah acts independently? So that Allah may try the believers and destroy the unbelievers. Do you think that you will enter paradise before Allah tests those of you? who have fought in his cause and are steadfast? 
You did indeed wish for death, for martyrdom and battle before you met it. Now you've seen it openly with your own eyes, says the God who couldn't give Muslims a reason to live, only a reason to die. Muhammad is no more than a messenger. Now, why in the world you would get from one to the other? There are no intelligent transitions in the Quran, but after telling Muslims they ought to die as martyrs, fighting in Allah's cause, killing unbelievers the world over, says Muhammad's nothing more than a messenger. And lo, many, many messengers have passed away before him. Allah didn't think much of Muhammad. I don't blame him, personally. So what if he is killed? Will you then turn back on your heels and go the way of disbelievers? If any did turn back on his heels, not the least harm or hurt would it do to Allah. <laughs> yeah. If it weren't for Muslims killing for Allah, Allah would have no influence whatsoever. None. Couldn't do a thing. Allah is only deadly because Muslims have been beguiled into killing for him. And they're beguiled right. into killing for him because there haven't been enough people willing to tell you the truth about this despicable religion. Yes, indeed. There was a very similar system to Islam established by the people of Tuba, as we learned last week. And although Allah bragged about destroying them for their unbelief, it was they who gave rise to monotheism in Arabia. And now to advance the lie and to hide the truth, Allah has a new strategy. I want you to die while killing for me. He gave Muslims a reason to die. Envenomated, they would become martyrs, waging war against all mankind. And make no mistake, well, I would assume that almost everyone listening to this program cares about Israel. I do. Yes. Devotees to calling Israel home, back to Yahweh, back to Dode, the Messiah, the Savior. If you don't care, as I do, as we do, about Israel and Yehudim, Jews, the beloved of Yah, then for your own sake, the sake of your children, the sake of your parents, the sake of your loved ones. Because this jihad that is being celebrated around the world is going to evolve. Not only towards the attempted annihilation of Israel, genocide against Jews. But if you're listening to what Allah is saying, this is a declaration of war against all humankind. They won't stop there. Killing, wounding, and incapacitating is how Allah determines between good and bad Muslims. Those admitted to paradise are sent off to hell. And as a result, Islam would become an orgy of death. Die killing for Allah, win a prize. Is any wonder that the terrorists released by Israel today were paraded down the streets 
by tearful eyes as if they were sports heroes. The ungrateful ungod did not even care if Muhammad lived or died. Who could blame him? He was just one of many proxies of death, another religious stooge. There had been countless before. There would be many more thereafter. And then, for the ultimate lie, the ego-maniacal Allah claims that it matters not to him if Muslims die or if they live, if they kill or if they are killed, if they believe or disbelieve. So if that's true, why advance Islam? Mm -hmm. Question. Well, it's a minuscule point among mountainous ones if... Only a messenger, Muhammad, cannot be as Muhammad's, as Muslims present him. There is no prophet of Islam. There are no prophecies in Islam. Not one. Also interesting is that this yeah. presents two hypotheticals that are not possible under predestination. But why be consistent when playing God? It's so limiting for the pretense of being the Almighty. Continuing the power of, uh, of claiming the power of life over death, well, <laughs> power of death anyway, Allah brags. No person or soul can die without the permission of Allah. And in accordance with the law of Allah. And to him who desires a reward in this world, we shall give it. And to him who desires a reward in the life to come, uh, we shall do that. So we reward the grateful. Many a prophet fought. And along with them fought large bands of religious men worshiping the Lord. So they did not become weak on account of what befell them if they met with disaster in Allah's way, nor did they weaken, degrade, or disgrace themselves. Allah loves the steadfast fighter. Yep, many have fought in large bands of religious men, worshiping their Lord, fighting for Allah. If they fell with disaster because Allah could do nothing, it mattered not so long as they fought to the end. 3147. And they said nothing but, Our Lord, forgive us our sins and our wasted efforts. Establish our feet firmly. Give us victory over the disbelievers who resist our faith. Yeah. So, wiping non Muslims out to the last isn't a sin, it's not a wasted effort. It's the ultimate good that a doer can do in Islam. Quran 3, 148. So Allah gave them the reward of this world and the excellent reward of the hereafter. And Allah loves the good deed doers. What's the reward in this world? Well, Muslim marauders get to act like those in, uh, on October 7th. They get to plunder Jews. 
They get to rape Jews. They get the thrill of watching Jews burn alive. Oh, that is the reward in this life. And then they get to go back to Gaza, where they inflict great adversity upon themselves. Oh, believers, if you listen to the infidels, they will make you turn your backs and you will be the losers. Of course, you can't listen to them because they might tell you the truth. How in the world are you going to remain our slaves and kill for us? If someone points out that that's really not a very godly thing to do. But we wouldn't want to listen to those infidels because Otherwise, we'd be one of the losers. Nay, Allah is your protector. He just said, eh, it doesn't matter if you get wiped out. I don't give a crap. Die or live means nothing to me. And now he wants you to believe that he is your protector. So what happened to the 2,000 Islamic jihadists who died? Perpetrating horrible crimes against God's people. What happened to the protection of the women and children who Hamas used as human shields? Did Allah go off duty? Did he take a little <laughs> recess? Uh, yeah. Certainly wasn't a Shabbat. Oh. What happened? They're not able to protect. What happened to the million Afghanis that died? What about the million Iraqis? What about the Syrian war? Another million. What happened to all the Muslims that the Islamic terrorists killed in Libya? Did your God take a nap? Nay, Allah is your protector, and he is the best of helpers. Huh, yeah. Now maybe you want to ask, why isn't there a single example anywhere in the history of Islam of Allah doing anything? <laughs> I mean, bark! Yep. Sit up! You're a snake! Slither! Spew some venom! I mean, a damn cobra can put on a show. You're a snake! Do something! Nothing. Nothing! Yep. Why do you think that Muslims constantly say, Allah willing, because Allah doesn't ever show up. <coughs> Must be unwilling. Oh, Quran 3151, we will cast terror into the hearts of the unbelievers, because they ascribe partners, friends, and companions to Allah. Oh, my. Allah can't have any friends. Allah can't have any partners. Well, unless he's claiming them based upon stealing them out of the Torah, in which case, ah, they're just his slaves. They're really not partners. Which he has not sent down a sanction. Their abode will be the fire. How evil an abode it is for the polytheists and wrongdoers. Yep, Allah's your protector of all. Yeah, he's the ultimate helper. He is the best of terrorists particularly for anyone who ascribes a friend to him. No, Allah works alone. 
abode will be fire. How evil will be the, vo- the abode of the polytheists. By the way, there were damn few polytheists in Arabia at the time. You know, yeah. we're, we're dealing with, you know, he, he arose that people want to believe that it was Mecca. It wasn't Mecca. Mecca didn't even exist at the time. It was, no, it wasn't Mecca. It was Petra. And in Petra, uh, and between 50 and 100, or between 50 BCE and 50 CE, Petra was a, uh, was a happening place. I mean, it, if you were a pagan, Petra was the place you wanted to be. It had the coolest temples, had plenty of gods. Uh, had a great uh, watering system, was right in the, uh, in the core of what remained of the land bridge caravan sites. Why? Because everybody was shipping by sea, and so they would ship from India right up through the, uh, the uh, Gulf of Aqaba, and then they would need to get from there to the Mediterranean to ship goods around the, uh, the civilized world. Well, if you're going to do that, the number one watering hole on the way, Petra. And so it had all of the shrines that the uh, Quran talks about. That's where he was. But by this time, Petra suffered a catastrophic earthquake. Um, First, the Romans conquered it. The Romans kind of liked it. Hey, this is a great trading post. They're really religious like us. It's, It's a good deal. They actually uh, brought in uh, a few Roman gods to mix with the other uh, gods of, uh, of Petra. It's interesting, too, that they, the top gods of Petra are the three gods that Muhammad names in the Satanic verses, Alat, Aluz, mm-hmm. and Manat. Same, same gods. Those gods didn't exist in a, well, Metra, Mecca didn't even exist at the time. But those were the leading goddesses of Petra. And so... After this earthquake, I think it's 339 CE, destroys it. All the temples are rubble. All of them. The aqueduct system fails. The Nabataeans who built the city leave. Nothing there for them anymore. The Romans don't want it anymore. And so the people who had been deprived of any rights all of a sudden now had some because Christianity was decriminalized. They came into uh, Petra, and, of course, the religious love to repurpose pagan anything. Muslims are great at it. The Christians were really good at it. And so the, uh, the few things that were still standing in Petra, the Christians claimed. And, of course, there were some stragglers among the Jews who went there after uh, Hadrian had destroyed Jerusalem in the same earthquake torch Jerusalem so that what was left was burnt. And so by 600 CE, when Muhammad was, uh, was there, it was a sh- uh, probably not even 5% of the original population. 28,000 people at its prime, maybe 1,000 people. Not a single one of them at that point. It would have been two forms of monotheism, Christianity and, uh, and Judaism. So this whole myth of Muhammad uh, brought monotheism to Arabia is, is complete crap. In fact, we demonstrated that the other day with the fact that, that not only did Tuba, Karina, um, establish 
monotheism and uh, Yemen, uh, the Sabians, but that there's actually only one city in Central Arabia that is known to history. Only one. Yathrib. And Yathrib was home to over 30,000 Jews. Only one. Oasis. And so between Yathra being a Jewish enclave and Petra becoming a Christian enclave and Yemen down below being a, uh, a, a Jewish Judaism enclave amongst Arabs and then above them the Byzantine Empire, which is the, the emerging Roman Catholic Church, mm-hmm. wasn't any paganism left. They weren't polytheists. They were all monotheists. This whole polythe this whole conversion of polytheists and Allah hating the polytheists rubbish. So anyway, if this is your God, the world is safer and better without you. The notion For that sure. no one can die without Allah's permission is mind numbingly stupid. And if a Muslim wanted to play along and pretend this was true, then how can he be your protector when you die taking the lives of innocent children? Wake up. When life ends tragically at the hands of another, man is to blame. And when unbelievers are killed by believers, then religion, particularly Islam, is responsible. To love life is to hate Islam. Those who love God hate Allah. Really isn't any more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Muslims fight and they kill to such an extent the religion has become a scourge on this planet, a plague of death. If you want to live in a world free of religious terrorism and mindless zombies who are kicking people in the street now around the world, many to death. If you want to live without days like October 7th of 2023, then you need to stand alongside the compassionate and the courageous who resist Islam. Otherwise, Muslims screaming, Allahu Akbar, will cast terror into the hearts of unbelievers. This is the legacy of Allah, of Islam, of Muhammad, and the Quran. So that you know, we will return to this particular surah and later chapters. This is the 33rd. It only gets worse from here. See, this was the third. It, as I said, gets worse, much worse from here. Not surprisingly, the uh, demotion... Allah afforded his non-profit was, uh, was embarrassing for the man who was claiming to be better than Moshe, better than Dode, better than that Christian myth of Jesus. So conveniently, therefore, Allah dispensed with uh, consistency and contradicted himself, as he is prone to do on the very next occasion. And he is recorded protesting. This is now 3340. Muhammad is not the father of any of your men, but the messenger of Allah and the seal of the prophets.
knowledge of all things. For a sensible being, the proof of a prophet might be accurate prophecy, yeah, but I didn't play by those rules. No, in Muhammad's case, the seal was a hairy mole on his back. And who would <laughs> dare disagree with a know-it-all? But alas, it would be unfair to Jews in Yathrib, um, Muhammad and the first Muslims had beheaded, they enslaved, they raped. Nor would it be fair to the Arabs uh, from Petra who came to Yathrib to uh, put an end to the Muslim madness. If we did not share what the 33rd Surah says of them and the Muslims who oppose them. It is, of course, and it begins with Allah contradicting himself, as is the ungod's custom. It begins 33.6, the prophet is close to the believers, closer to the believers, what they probably meant to say, but forgot the, to write it that way, than their own selves, and his wives are their mothers, which is pretty creepy, since many of them were children as young as six years of age. And when we took from the prophet their covenant, and from you, O Muhammad, and from Nu, that would be Noah, Ibrahim, Abraham, Musa, Moses, and Esau, the mythical Jesus, the son of Miriam. We took from them a strong and solemn. Okay, they're smarty pants. What did it say? What is your damn covenant? You never explain. It's the central spoke of which the Torah turns. It is the single most important thing that God conveys. He not only lists all of the meetings he had with Abraham and his formation, but he lists five conditions and five benefits. And then he explains how that very same covenant is enabled through his Moed Mikre, the seven annual meetings. And he returns to reaffirm it with his people. The Day of Reconciliations. But all Allah's got is, oh, it's a strong covenant. It's a firm covenant. And we formed that covenant with Nu, with Ibrahim, with Musa, and with Aisa, son of Miriam. You know how many women are mentioned by name in the, uh, the Quran? No. One. One. Is it? The it mythical... Is. A mythical mummy of Jesus. That's the, that is the, unbelievable. That is the only one. Yep, Allah didn't care much for women, nor did his uh, prophet. By the way, the reason this all says this is because this uh, was actually um, um, written uh, to justify a really horrendous episode in Muhammad's life where uh, he uh, uh, took a uh, slave girl um, who was, I don't know, probably six, seven years old, and he raped her. Not only raped her, he raped her in the bed of uh, one of his uh, 
uh, two wives at the time, who was actually a, a slave uh, herself, and uh, a bed that he shared with, uh, with his first victim of pedophilia, who was six when the 50-year-old prophet had sex with her. Now, yeah. since his harem was filled almost entirely with sex slaves and, well, little girls, those who were the first to hear this would have been repulsed. They're not my mother. Well, at least apart from Muslims, since nothing is too immoral for them. The covenant was Yahweh's, not Noah's or Moshe's, nor even Abraham's. And it was not taken, but instead given. It is accepted, but not via an oath. Moreover, Esau, as Esau, was excluded from it. And Esau, as Jesus, never existed. Allah has a problem with the truth. Always threatening. Quran 33.008 says, And he may ask the truthfuls about their truth. And he has prepared for the disbelievers a painful torment and a grievous punishment. So this is it. Allah's one claim to fame, his singular act of bravado on behalf of Muslims, is what comes next. 33.009 And you who believe, remember Allah's favor when there came against you hosts and we sent against them a wind and forces that you saw not. And Allah is ever all-seer of what you do. It was a miracle, of course. A wind blew in the desert. Although since the effects were unseen, we may be giving Allah too much credit. I have another kind of issue here. We've, we learned from uh, Tuba, Corinne, uh, that uh, he came and besieged Yathrib, encircling it. And this is what allegedly happened when the Quraysh, Muhammad's own king, decided, uh, Ken, decided we've had enough of him tormenting us. We're going to put an end to him raping our women, murdering our men, robbing our caravans. And so when they allegedly showed up, they uh, encircled Yathrib too. And the way that, that Allah is credited with his one miracle of defeating them was blowing sand in their faces. Can you explain to me how you can encircle a place and have the same wind blow sand in the faces no matter which way they're facing? It's a miracle. <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> yes, indeed. You understand, you understand Islam. <laughs> oh, yeah. As is his custom, Allah is expecting Muslims to have read the hadith to know what he's talking about. Otherwise, this is a fish out of water. He is, uh, um, uh, well, I guess that would be kind of like creation, so maybe that's an unfair criticism. That was the big fish uh, that was uh, underneath the, uh, the throne that was held up by the cloud without uh, water uh, and no air so that the pen could write the Quran. Oh, Nevertheless, 
as we progress through Muhammad's despicable life, we will discover that his brothers and sisters from Petra had had more than enough of the nonprofit's shenanigans. He had robbed, raped, terrorized, and murdered them so many times that they sought to end the torment by killing the little snake. Unfortunately, he slithered away, but not before Allah could claim credit for the hole in the sand which stumped the adversaries. However, somehow, those who were stymied by a line drawn in the sand managed to come upon the first Muslims from above and from below, as uh, they had uh, must have had rockets uh, and tunnels like Hamas. Maybe it was a prophecy. This shook uh, Allah's uh, jihadists to the core of the faith, and and as always uh, has been, uh, the tormentors were now tormented. Quran three three ten. When they came upon you from above. And from below. And when their eyes grew wild and their hearts reached their throats, and you were harboring doubts and supposition, including diverse thought about Allah. There the believers were tried and shaken with a mighty shaking. And when the hypocrites and those who were filled with doubts, he is now criticizing the non-jihadi Muslims for not wanting to attack those who are besieging them. And when the hypocrites and those who are filled with doubts and whose heart is a disease said, the promise of Allah and his messer promised us nothing but delusions and deceit. That was true. (laughs) And when a party of them said, O folk of Yathrib, there is no stand for you, therefore turn back. And certain of them sought permission of the prophet, saying, Our homes are exposed, and they lie not open. They wished but to flee. No, if you're a slave of Allah, there is no freedom for you. Quran 33:14. If the enemy had entered from all sides, and they had been exhorted to al-fitna, to renegade from Islam to polytheism, the surely would have committed it and would have hesitated thereupon a little. Following along, Kirk? (laughs) But whereas they had already made a sworn oath to Allah and they would not turn their backs, And oath to Allah must be answered for. There is no retreating. If you're fighting for Allah, you will fight to the death. Say, of no gain or avail if you fly away from death or from slaughter. And in that case, you will not be allowed to enjoy yourselves but a little. (laughs) So, just in case somebody avoids being massacred while trying to kill others. And they end up, you know, living a, a decent life. It's just all this little game. He, he's the one that's allowing them to have that, that good life so that, well, he can torture them later. And he doesn't want Muslims saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. We died, and this guy's living. We followed you. They didn't. What's the deal? 
Well, that's the deal. Keep in mind, all of this pertained to the only, the singular defensive battle ever attributed to Muhammad. They had been the terrorists, not the terrorized. And even then, the armed civilians from Petra, Muhammad's hometown, were there to stop Muhammad from plundering them. The non-profits Ken were actually there to defend themselves from Islam. But it, it, it just didn't go well. Muhammad retreated and ran like a startled snake for cover. His followers did the same. And in the end, the clans from Petra thought they had killed their tormentor. And thinking him dead, they returned home. Mission accomplished. But that is not the story the pen wanted to write 14 billion years ago. Nope. 3317, say, who is he who can protect you from Allah if he intends to harm you? Or if he intends mercy on you? And they will not find besides Allah for themselves any wali, a protector or supporter, or even a helper. No one can defend you from Allah. That's pretty frightening. I will, however. Allah is no match for me. Or anyone who serves alongside Yahweh. Not bragging, just telling you the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If yeah. you want to take the time to read Yada Yahweh, you will be protected. Simple. Yeah. Allah already knows those among you who keep back from fighting in Allah's cause and those who say to their brethren, come here towards us while they come not to the battle except a little. If you're listening, world, particularly journalists, particularly progressives, Allah just said that a peaceful Muslim is a hypocrite. Someone Allah intends to torture in hell. All good Muslims are terrorists. That's what the Quran just said. Allah already knows those among you who keep back from fighting in Allah's cause and those who say to their brethren, come here towards us. Well, they come not to the battle except for a little. A peaceful Muslim is a hypocrite. All good Muslims are terrorists. That's what the Quran tells us. Should it not be obvious that all Muslims are bad people because they fight in Allah's cause? It is Allah's intent to obliterate all humankind. Being miserly towards you, then, this is Quran 33:19. being miserly towards you, I guess that's supposed to be a sentence, then when fear comes, you will see them, oh, I guess being miserly towards you, he's still talking about the peaceful Muslim hypocrites. Yeah. They're, they're cheating you by not, not spilling their blood on your behalf, not killing for you. They're being miserly towards you. Then when fear comes, you will see them looking to you, their eyes revolving like one whom hovers death. But when the fear departs, they will smite you with smart, with sharp tongues 
miserly towards good, which is defined as killing. Such have not believed. Therefore, Allah makes their deeds fruitless. And that is ever easy for Allah because Allah works inevitably. All good Muslims are lying. All good Muslims are terrorists. All bad Muslims are hypocrites. Allah hates them. If someone claims to be a peaceful Muslim, Allah despises them. They think that the allied tribes of the Confederates have not yet withdrawn, and if the Confederates should come, they would wish that they were in the deserts among the Bedouins, seeking news about you, and if they, to be among you, they would not fight but a little. Even a bad Muslim fights. He's just a crappy fighter. A good jihadi Muslim fights to the death. Well, the problem is Allah can't do squat. He's no less irritating, but no more menacing than a mosquito. If he can't beguile a Muslim into murdering for him, nothing happens. True, true. Muhammad was a genuine piece of, well, poop. Although that gives poop a bad name. No one was worse. In a world rife with misogynists, with rapists and pedophiles, mass murderers and terrorists, liars and thieves, psychopaths and sadists, Muhammad was guilty of all of this and much more. He was the full tilt Richter scale of bad. Mm -hmm. He claimed to speak for God and ordered people to follow his appalling and abhorrent example. 3321, you have indeed a noble paradigm and good example, an excellent exemplar to follow in the messenger of Allah for him who hopes in Allah and the last day and remembers Allah much. Pedophile, rapist, mass murderer, plunderer, terrorist, liar, thief, what am I missing? Con he had it all. Yeah. Con man. Right. False prophet. Mm-hmm. He had it all. He had the full resume of evil. And Allah says of him, well, you know, Allah's Satan. So maybe all of this is really good. I mean, if you're Satan, a noble paradigm would be a mass murderer. Well, that's a 10 on the scale of good and evil. That's not the worst of it, because this is where Allah really gets annoying. It is the reason that I will be among those who assure that the ungod of Islam, Allah, spends an eternity in Sheol hell. It is the reason that after 22 years, we have returned to update and to improve, to enhance prophet of doom, making it goddamn religion. Rather than blame Mohammed for being a terrorist and mass murderer, a rapist and a thief, and for harassing his own family, Allah blamed the Jews in Yathrib 
for the attack that would lead to their death, to their enslavement, and to being raped, to a equally monstrous version of what happened on October 7th. Quran 33:25, And Allah drove the unbelievers back in their rage and fury, and they gained no advantage. Allah suffered, or excuse me, Allah sufficed for the believers in the fighting. Allah is ever strong, almighty, and able to enforce his will. Yes, when it comes to killing Jews, Allah is the bestest of fighters. 3326, and those of the people of the scripture book who helped them, the tribes of disbelievers, Allah brought them down from their strongholds. He cast terror into their hearts so that a group of them you killed and a group of them you enslaved as captives. And he caused you to inherit their land and their houses and their wealth and the land you had not trodden. Allah is able to do all things. This is the Quran recital for October 7th. Verbatim. And those of the scripture book who helped Allah brought them down from their strongholds. He cast terror into their hearts so that a group you killed, you enslaved as captives. He forgot to mention what they did to the third group, which was to rape them. And he caused you to inherit their land. He didn't inherit it, you fleabag. You stole it. You killed them and you stole it. And you stole their wealth. Yeah, Allah is able to do all things. He has inspired monsters. And they can do all things bad. They aren't very good at good. Muhammad brought the last of the Jewish tribes in Yathrib into a town square after having exiled the other two tribes of Jews from what had been their city, 30,000 of them, that date way back to 600 BCE. They'd been there for a thousand years. They survived as date farmers. But it would be just a matter of a few years of Muhammad and he would kill them in front of their mothers and their wives their children one at a time Muhammad had his goons the first Muslims slowly sever every man's head I'm sure just like the terrorists of October 7th they enjoyed a good meal, maybe a good laugh. That was they were decapitating Jews. Every man and boy's head was cut off and then tossed unceremoniously into a ditch in the middle of what is now Medina. He and these savages then raped the women and the little girls 
anyone left, they enslaved. Many hundreds, if not thousands of them. It was the prelude to 10.723. It was a spectacle for the entertainment of Muhammad and the first Muslims. This is Islam. Quran 33, 25, 26, and 27. It is Islam. This is the Quran. This is Allah. These are Muslims. You witnessed it on 10-7. Why is it you can't make the connection? How could it be more obvious? Enslaving and kidnapping. Mass murder. Plunder. Stealing. Terrorism. In the name of the God of Islam. This is Islam, the man, the God, the book, the religion. In Muhammad's warped way, he somehow saw this sadistic episode as the perfect opportunity to torment his harem. That's what followed. So the parts of the 33rd surah that I have admitted up to this point, um, all pertained to badgering them. And with particular, a peculiar thing for the pen to ascribe this on the perfect tablet. Why would this be written 14 billion years ago dealing with the minutiae of a madman in an illiterate desert? Evidently, There were some people who thought pedophilia, rape, and incest were becoming. Or unbecoming, I should say, so Allah set them straight. This is not for a believer, man or woman, whom Allah and his messenger have decided and have decreed on a matter that they should have any option in their decision. And whoever disobeys Allah and his messenger, he has indeed straight into error manifest. For a Muslim man or woman to run for political office is disgusting. It is not for a believer, a man or woman, what Allah and his messenger have decided, and they decided that all good Muslims are jihadists, terrorists. And if they have decreed in the matter will kill all the Jews, enslave them, that a Muslim will have any option in their decision. Whoever disobeys Allah and his messenger has indeed strayed in error. There is no constraint, however, on the prophet in that which Allah has made legal for him. Ah, Rape, pedophilia, mass murder, terrorism, it's all yours, babe. I'm the God who set it all up for you. That has been Allah's way with those who have passed away of old. And the command of Allah is the decree, determined, and destiny. I had uh, wondered how it was that Satan, as Allah, 
would have written his Quran where the number one reoccurring theme was the never-ending argument. A meaningless scuffle in the desert between everybody that knew Muhammad and heard the first recitals of the Quran saying, this is utter nonsense, it's fables of old, you've plagiarized it, uh, there's more sorcery than anything else. And those, and then uh, Allah saying, no, 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 my, my God has given you the clear signs and because you disagree with him, I'm going to uh, kill you, resurrect you, and then torture you forever. Um, Muhammad wanted to rape the little slave child and his um, you know, the women in his harem said, you know, that's, that's pretty nasty. It's grotesque. He, you know, cut off the heads of 900 Jews in one afternoon and then raped the women. And there's some people that were complaining and said, you know, that, that's pretty crude. That's, that might even be uh, immoral. And so why would... Satan as Allah and his Quran be so fixated on trying to prop up the obvious hideous behavior of Muhammad. And I finally figured it out. It actually took me till today to figure it out. And that is that all that mattered was kowtowing, beguiling, traumatizing those in Yathrib that Muhammad was either trying to uh, have join him to become fellow terrorists, um, all the rape you can handle, all of the plunder you can steal, all of the mass murder that any bloodthirsty uh, thug would ever want to, uh, to steal, perfect. And if you don't agree, we kill you. So all Allah and Muhammad had to do was get this gaggle of goons, these murdering marauders, these covetous terrorists in training, and Yathrib to kill for him, to plunder for him, to enslave for him. And once they had Yathrib, the one town of any merit, in Central Arabia. They'd killed all the Jews. They'd killed anybody who would offer a dissenting voice. And they began to systematically plunder every Arab community around them, raping the women, murdering the men, enslaving the children. Once they prevailed with that, there was no reason for the Quran. There was no benefit to any of it. It had served its purpose. From that point on, there would be no dissent. From that point on, it was speak out against this, protest it, and we'll cut off your head. And so all he had to do was prevail in that little town by killing all the Jews and anyone who would dare dissent so that he was the top goon. From that point, the rest of it was irrelevant. That's the reason why the Quran wasn't written for 100 years. That's why the first Hadith did not appear for 200 years. All he had to do was conquer Yathrib. 
squash the dissenting voices, become a ruthless terrorist. And what happened after Muhammad's death? They had the war of compulsion. They forced mm-hmm. every Arab to surrender to Islam. If you didn't surrender, they robbed you, killed you, raped your women, and slaved your sons. And then after that, they went into Persia and did the same thing, and then to India, and then through Syria, through Israel, through Jordan, across Egypt, all the way to Morocco, and eventually up into Spain, all with the same mantra. Surrender and become a slave to Islam, pay the zakat tax, I will cut off your head. And after we do that, we'll rape your women and enslave your children. It'll be fun. The story of Islam. Really not much more to it than that. And after a while, you'd say, so, you know, we're only on page 235 of volume one, and this is a 650-page volume, and volume two is another 650 pages of analyzing the Quran and Hadith, and volume three, another 650 pages, and volume four, the same thing. And after a while, you'd say, well, how much can you write when it's all the same thing? But that's it, isn't it? Yeah. If I expose it all, and it's all the same thing, and it's all this miserable, do you think that maybe, just maybe, there might be some other people in the world that wake up and say, this is uncivilized. That progressives say, wait a minute, this is all about enslaving. This is all about marauding. This is all about glorifying death and terrorism. We can't support this. They claim to be anti-fascist. This is the most fascist doctrine ever conceived. Makes Hitler and Mein Kampf look like child's play. Mm-hmm. And Hitler did have a bigger sandbox and, uh, and cooler toys. A more menacing logo. But it's the same. Same story. Out of the abyss for the moment, let's consider the third mention. And we went into the story because we were pursuing the the uh, mentions of of Muhammad in the uh, Quran. There's only uh, three of them. There's one that Allah gets his name wrong. We'll cover that in a moment. But here's now the third mention of uh, the mighty Muhammad in the Quran. Now, so I. Uh, now, here's this myth that there's one, only only God, Allah is the only God, and Muhammad is his prophet, and yet he's only mentioned three times in the Quran, four if you count a misnomer. This one is found in Quran 47002, so at least they're randomly spaced and equally stupid because the Islamic God forgot what he revealed to Dr. Truth. This reads... But those who believe in work deeds of righteousness and believe in what we sent down to Muhammad, for it is the truth from their Lord, he will remove them from their ills and he will improve their conditions. Well, uh, betting a gimpy camel here, but nonetheless, there cannot be a conditional clause under the auspices of predestination. Excellent and, point. 
personally, while I can't speak for everyone, I prefer gods that are literate. And can you please explain to me how Allah improved their conditions when Muslims live in the most impoverished conditions in the world? I mean, the only ones that can rival Muslims and living in depraved conditions would be the North Koreans. And the North Koreans are stuck in, what, the 1950s. Muslims mm-hmm. are stuck in the 7th century. Yeah. Can't crawl out of it. Now, moving on to the fourth and final iteration of Muhammad in the text of the Quran, we find the following in Quran 48:29. Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, and those who are with him are strong against the unbelievers, but compassionate against one another. When we just heard in the 33rd surah how the Muslims were hypocrites because they were miserly and, and wouldn't fight. So I guess Allah has contradicted himself again. Thou wilt seat them, bow and prostrate themselves, seeking grace from Allah and his good pleasure. On their faces are the marks, being the traces of their prostration, and this is the similitude of the Torah. And their similitude is found in the Gospel. It's like a seed which sends forth its blade and then makes strong, and it becomes thick, and it stands on its own stem, and the soars with wonder and delight. (laughs) As a result, it fills the unbelievers with rage, at them, and he has promised among them who believe and do righteous deeds, forgiveness, and a great reward. So this begins accurately enough. Muhammad was the messenger of Allah. No problem with that. Give him full credit. In fact, Allah was Muhammad's alter ego. The promise is also untrue because Islam is penal. It's hard to find a religion more retarding at least apart from Hadithic Judaism. Although, to be fair, they are based on the same Talmud. It's also true that Muslims bow down prostrate and prostrate themselves, mooning God, and is become a central plank of their religion. No doubt pleases Satan no end. However, this similitude cannot be found in the Torah, which we will assume is the Torah since it is a preferred rabbinical pronunciation. Yahweh never asks anyone to bow down before him. Sorry, Allah, you lied. And when someone makes this mistake, Yahweh politely asks them to stand. There Mm -hmm. is, however, one command to bow down, and it is found in Yahshua, Isaiah, where those who are being judged after Yahweh's return will be humiliated in this way. As for their similitude in the gospel, there is more than one of them. It's not gospel singular. And they are not even remotely accurate. And while they do call for prostrations, they do not, I should say, call for prostrations, to claim that which is false is to admit to being dishonest. And while it is a minor point among more revealing ones, when God speaks of seeds growing strong, it is never in reference to grass, which is fleeting and fades. Moreover, the 
transition from the untenable position that the Torah and gospel conveyed the same message on prostration and that the gospel message strengthens, it is incongruous to say, as a result, it fills the unbelievers with rage at them. This is so poorly written and so untrue. Well, I have presented all four mentions of Muhammad. Allah apparently had a senior moment and forgot his name in Quran 61.6. But that's hardly, yeah, hardly his only mistake. Uh, there, of course, was no Jesus, and Allah mistakenly called him Isa. There was no Mary either, and it would have been impossible for a mystical misnomer in the first century state to have uttered the name of a god whose name would not become known until the 7th century. Uh, nevertheless, and remember, Esau, Jesus in the text, the son of Mary, which means bitter and contentious in Hebrew, said, O children of Israel, I am the messenger of Allah. You know, I've studied the Christian New Testament, written a number of books against it. Yeah. I can't remember ever reading Allah's name. I am the no. messenger of Allah to you, confirming the law before me and giving glad tidings of a messenger to come after me whose name shall be Ahmad. Ahmad. But when he came to them with clear signs, they said, this is evident sorcery. Well, not to worry, Ahmad. At least Allah got the Mad part right in both names. <laughs> the reason Muhammad was so preoccupied with belittling the misnomer Jesus by renaming him Esau and calling Esau Ben Miriam, then converting the now legendary Christian God to the Islamic herald of Ahmad is because he was the competition for many of the surviving residents of Rakamo, which is how Petra was known at the time. Petra is based on the Greek word, and the Greeks had nothing to do with the community. Muhammad's first revelations are alleged to have begun in 610 CE, and the Islamic calendar commences in 622 CE, when he fled to Yathrib in shame following the fiasco of the satanic verses in the night's journey. In the dozen years in between, he would have been trying and failing to convince the Arab Christian population that he was the next and last best thing. From a historical perspective, this transpired some 250 years after the Nabataeans and Romans had abandoned Petra following the great earthquake in 363 CE, setting the showdown around the Kaaba three centuries after Constantine had decriminalized Christianity in 312 CE. And since Muhammad was envious of the claims made of their God, and since he had failed in convincing the Jews in Arabia that he was their Messiah, Muhammad, excuse me, Ahmad, needed to cut the myth of Esau excuse me again, Jesus, down to his size 
which was really, really puny. <laughs> Although, once again, we find an occasional nugget of truth within the Quranic diatribe. In this case, they said, this is evident sorcery. Well, frankly, mm -hmm. Thomas. And if I may, there were never any signs, clear or otherwise, to validate any of this. Couldn't so much as produce a book. Yeah. Following... <clears throat> Oh, and moving past the man who would be God, we find the following Bukhari hadith confirms Israel or Islam's lack of uh, of choice and Muhammad's uh, dearth of prophetic credentials. This is Bukhari, uh, Volume Four, Book Fifty Five, Number Five Forty Nine. Allah's Apostle, the true and truly inspired, said. As it relates to your criteria, oh, excuse me, as it relates to your creation, mm -hmm. every one of you is collected in the womb of his mother for the first 40 days. And then he becomes a clot for another 40 days. And then a piece of flesh for another 40 days. Um, a four-month gestation isn't even half right, nor is the process. Then Allah sends an angel to write four words. He writes his deeds, his time of death, his means of livelihood, and whether he will be wretched or blessed. Well, thank you, Dr. Muhammad. You are truly inspired in uh, Allah's time in the womb of our mothers, miraculously conceiving children in Quran. 39, uh, 6, I don't know if you recall, but Allah is, uh, enters the womb of every pregnant woman and sees to it that, uh, that you know, the little uh, jihadist is, uh, is born ready to kill. Well, all of that lesson wasn't wasted on you. And you even managed to work in a nifty explanation of predestination for the half-baked children of Islam. Four-month gestation is why I say half-baked. Bravo. Scribbling <laughs> on, the pen gathers rivals for its pole position in the race to creation. So funny. I've, I wrote that line about the half-baked children of Islam. I've never had anybody get it. And finally, I said, well, well you know, it's probably not worth telling you if you have to explain it. But nonetheless, I, uh, I decided oh, I got to explain it anyway because I like the joke, and I didn't want to have to remove it. Good. Oh, scrap. Scribbling on, the pen gathers rivals for its pole position in the race of creation. I asked Muhammad, where was Allah before his creation? <laughs> Aren't you curious? Muhammad replied, he was in a cloud with no air underneath or above it. That answers that, Matt. Now we know. A cloud without air. Now that's one for the science classes. The last time I checked, a cloud was comprised of water suspended in water. air. But let's not sweat the no details. Quibble. No quibble here. Nope, we wouldn't want to be among those who mock. Tabati, one, two, oh, four. <laughs> and, and less, well, we, second thought. Okay, Tabati, caught me on that one. No, Tabati, one. Uh, 204. This would be volume one, 204th page. This would be from the SUNY. Uh, State uh, University of New York translation. Then Allah created his throne upon the water. Okay, so we know where Allah was 
what's the first thing he does? He keeps his throne on, on, on the water. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yahweh creates the universe. He, you know, he creates life, and he says, wow, this is really cool. I love life. He then uh, creates animals. He says, wow, this, this is really exciting. This is good stuff. Then he creates man and says, even better. This is wonderful. And the first thing we do is we find Yahweh down on earth with man enjoying their relationship, celebrating life, having wonderful conversations. What's Allah doing? Ah, yeah, he wanted to have nothing to do with man. He's up there building his throne. Quite a difference, isn't there? One is yeah. interested in glorifying himself and the other in benefiting someone else. Mm-hmm. So there were clouds, there were water, there was the throne. <clears throat> Please tell me how the pen came first. And may I ask, how could there have been a cloud and water before the earth was created? And just checking, isn't H2O comprised of two of the many gases comprising our atmosphere? Mm-hmm. Uh, just just curious here, but um, <clears throat> I'm sure the nonprofit will clear this up. So let's listen to a hadith from one of his companions, like so many traditions. This one is found in both Tabari, which is the Tariq history, and Bukhari, the, uh, the bestest of the hadith. Some people came to the messenger, entered his presence, and said, give us gifts. Well, Muhammad's militants were mercenaries after all, so what would you expect? The prophet had bribed his way to prosperity. It's amazing how, how much you can achieve on money you steal from others. It, this continued until uh, it annoyed him. Then he left. Some other people came in and said, we have come to greet the messenger of Allah and become knowledgeable about the religion and ask about the beginning of the world. He said, Allah existed while there was nothing else. His throne was upon the water, and all that was going to be was written on the memorial tablet before anything else was created. Then Allah created the seven heavens. Just then someone came to me and said, that camel of yours is gone. I went out, and I found that she was out of sight. I surely wish I would have let her go, and I would have not missed the rest of the prophet's remarks. Okay, let's see if we understand this. The pen was created first, but before it was created uh, Allah and his throne in a cloud without air. The throne was on the water, which was yet to be created. Then we had writing on a tablet, which had yet to be created, so that Allah could tell us that there are seven heavens, which were created before or after the earth, depending on which version you believe. Bottom line here, the camel. That's about all we know for sure. Where's the ink? The Bukhari version of the runaway camel ends with this insight into how Muhammad conveyed his inspired revelations and how they were ultimately retained and passed along to us as scripture. This is from Bukhari. One day the prophet stood up among us for a long period, and he formed us 
about the beginning of creation. He said, as he talked about everything in detail, he ended his speech by mentioning how the peep paradise will enter the garden and how the people of hell will enter the fire. Some remembered what he said. and Some of us forgot. Muhammad's fellow thieves and terrorists weren't the only ones who had trouble remembering this stuff. This is also from Bacardi. The prophet said, it's a really bad thing that some of you say, I have forgotten such and such a verse of the Quran. For truly, I have been caused by Allah to forget it. So you must keep on reciting the Quran because it escapes faster than a runaway camel. It's good to know that camels also had an aversion to the Quran. I'm gaining a new fact found respect for the uh, the grumpy and the spitting uh, desert dwellers. <laughs> Since uh, memories were fleeting, to be fair, I say we give Muhammad another chance. What do you guys think? Uh, surely he'll straighten all this out. After all, <laughs> almost two billion people trust this man with their souls, and many of them kill for him. Surely Muhammad will pull through. Tabari 1, 206. Surely. When Allah wanted to create the heavens and the earth, he grabbed a fistful of small rocks in the water. Uh. Where was the water? And where were the rocks? And then, then he opened his fist and with the rocks, and they rose in the form of smoke. Then uh-huh. Allah fashioned the seven heavens and extended the earth in two days. He finished the creation on the seventh day. He created the footstool after the pen and then the throne. Thereafter, he created the air and darkness. He then created the the water and placed his throne on it. He was in a cloud with no air underneath or above it. Thus, the messenger reported. (laughs) Crazy. Explains it. Makes perfect sense. (laughs) Muhammad was making the stuff up as he went along. And he was as dim-witted as the black stone representing his god. Hey, that was, I mean, that was really pathetic. It was. Now, it gives you a newfound respect for Dr. Seuss, though, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> a better now, writer. Oh, by a million miles. <laughs> now, now, I asked you, and, you know, and the, in one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, not a single green fish is a jihadist. Now, I ask you, <laughs> it is obvious that the Islamic scripture was contrived. What else do you suppose that Muhammad made up as he went along? Allah and Islam, perhaps? Mm. And that's really the point. The more you expose to Muhammad and his religion, the more you will come to understand the nature and purpose of Islam. There are two reasons I'm sharing these inane and contradictory creation accounts. First, I promised that we would start at the beginning and cover Muhammad's creation of Islam chronologically, starting with his versions of the world's beginnings. We will go step by step through his corruption of Adam, of Noah, of Abraham, Moses, to see how he misused the patriarchs 
to establish his dogma. The second reason is that I wanted you to know Muhammad and Allah, to see them as they really are. Each time they propose things that are logically impossible, contradictory, or twisted, you'll be able to judge their sincerity, their validity, and their veracity. By way of example, Muhammad had to make the Kaaba, which was said to be Allah's house, even though it was a rock pile to pagan gods, seem worthy of veneration. Therefore, from Tabati, Allah created the ancient house upon the water on four pillars, and he did this 2,000 years before he created the world. Amazing. Isn't Somebody that heard well? wrong. Wow. You know, not only did Allah create the ancient house, but he's going to have everybody from Adam to Noah to Abraham create the same damn house. This is going to be the most rebuilt house in all of history, which I guess sets up really well for the move of the house, changing the Quibla from uh, Petra to, to Mecca. So he created the ancient house upon the water on four pillars. Please remember that, that Allah claims to have created the house himself because he's going to tell us so many more contradictory stories about it. And it existed 2,000 years before he created the world. Now, this is the house of rock gods, of which he was the biggest rock. So where did they gather all of these rocks? And what was the purpose of it? Was Allah circumambulating his own house? When Allah prays, does he pray to the house that he created on the water on four pillars? Islam's credibility is based upon making the Kaaba, the black cube in, now in Mecca, a legitimate monotheistic shrine. However, the Kaaba not only preceded Allah and Islam by centuries, it was in Petra, not Mecca, and worse for Allah, He was not among the top rocks at the time. In fact, the first god of the Petran period was the Lord. (laughs) In fact, there's even a surah, which Allah condemns the worship of Baal, and then he claims to be the bestest of the lords. (laughs) He doesn't know what Baal means. (laughs) And when, when we finally have a god's name in the Quran chronologically in terms of the revelation of the Suras at the, uh, towards the end of the Petra period, guess what the name of the god is? It's the same god that uh, Tuba uh, Karina was worshipping when he converted Arabs to Judaism. Raham. Ah, Raham. Yeah. As I have mentioned previously, the environment in and around Petra not only fits the narratives in the Quran and the Hadith, when Mecca does not, it also explains all of the initial mocks which were oriented in its direction way south of Jerusalem. Petra had been a thriving religious center and commercial center for the Nabataeans. It served as a trading depot for caravans and watering holes for camels, a thousand years before Islam. 
Mecca could not have been any of these things. There was no overland trade of any material mm -hmm. substance uh, during uh, the seventh century. In fact, going all the way back to the second and third century. In fact, you can even go all the way back to the time of Dode, the thousand BCE, and what you find is that trade went by ship. And so Petra still survived because you still have to go from the tip of the Gulf of Aqaba to the Mediterranean Sea, short distance, but some 20 miles or so, but Petra was the best watering hole along the route. However, when shipping by sea came to replace the slower and less economical caravans, Petra gradually did lose its appeal as a watering hole for burdened camels. Its only remaining claim to fame would be its shrines to pagan gods, and this may be why it appealed to Christians who in the 4th century migrated there after Emperor, after Emperor Constantine decriminalized their religion. Petra's shrines were repurposed for Christianity as gods and their devotees in Petra vied for supremacy. The city, which was carved into the rock cliffs, giving it its name, uh, the actual name of the city means colored stone, uh, it was in sharp decline when it was devastated by the massive earthquake, as I shared in 363. The tremors mm -hmm. caused the collapse of many of its buildings while devastating its water supply system. Without a source of revenue, a stable population, a new religion with an additional god would have been welcomed here. Uh, any kind of distraction would have been welcomed here by the time of Muhammad's arrival in the 6th or early 7th century. The earthquake was the turning point for the remnant of Nabataeans, such that within 80 years of Muhammad's death, Petra was completely abandoned. Once the Kaaba was removed and the rocks comprising it were moved to Mecca, the, what was left of Petra was swallowed by the sands. It was not found again until the 19th century. Boy, talk about burying the evidence, sweeping it under the carpet. This occurred following a series of battles as the first caliphs vied for control of the emerging religion. The Quran's quibla was then changed to accommodate the change of venues. Yeah, it was less than 60 years after Muhammad's death and Islam was already in its second civil war. And may I add this for your consideration. While there is no archaeological record of any kind identifying the mud hut village of Mecca with Muhammad or Islam, the oldest record of Allah's name is found on a steel dedicated to Us Allah, a local Malek, the Hebrew word for king. Additionally, the earliest evidence of Muhammad's tribal ancestors is found just outside of Petra, not Mecca. And as if we needed more evidence, Petra had a waterway between mountains that fits the Islamic ritual. While the mountains were simply reduced to rocks in, Metra, in Mecca and are devoid of an aqueduct. Should you wonder when this transfer of the Kaaba occurred, it was during 
Islam's second civil war around uh, 680 CE. I think that the final battle for uh, the control of the Kaaba and the destruction of Petra uh, was in 692 uh, CE. During a fight between warlords in Damascus and Petra, the original Kaaba was destroyed after the Battle of Karbala. The army of the Umayyad Caliphate killed Hussein, the grandson of Muhammad, and most of his, uh, his extended family. And then to solidify their authority, they built a new Kaaba in Mecca because it was one letter removed from Baca, which was the name of the valley in which uh, Petra was found. Forget for a moment that this story contradicts Muhammad's earlier testimony. The Kaaba was a wreck. During Muhammad's day, it was constructed of unhewn and unmortared rocks. It doesn't look much better today either, which is why it's covered by the prayer blankie. It didn't even have a roof. As you look at uh, Mecca today, the new and improved version is so unattractive. It is shrouded in black. And that's after having been rebuilt ten times. Such a building, and I use that term loosely, is clearly beyond beneath God's design, capability, and status. Not only was a pagan shrine housing over 300 idols, um, which is what the, the Islamic scriptures actually acknowledge of the Kaaba, we still have to deal with three wholly different versions of who made the darn thing. In different places in the Hadith and Quran, Muhammad claims that the Kaaba's builder was Allah, then Adam, and uh, Abraham. Of course, uh, also Noah sailed the mighty ship around it. But as for the first three, they all have a common denominator. They all begin with the letter A. There are uh, many more creation variants, but I'd be remiss if I didn't share my favorite. Um, Maybe my favorite uh, Hadith of all time. Um, this is the one that genuinely does rival one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. The whole <laughs> earth was placed on a big fish. The very same fish that swallowed Jonah, mind you. In this version, we discover when Allah wanted to create the creation, he brought forth smoke from the water. Now, wouldn't you think that the one place you could, that wouldn't have smoke would be the water? I, I thought that water put out fire. No, never mind. We don't want to sweat the details. Okay, so when Allah wanted to create his creation, he brought forth smoke from the water. The smoke hovered loftily over it. He called the smoke heaven. Then he dried out the water and made it earth. And he split it and made seven earths on Sunday. He created the earth on a big fish, that fish being mentioned in the Quran. By the pen, the fish was in the water. The water was on the back of a small rock. The rock was on the back of an angel. The angel was on a big rock. The big rock was in the wind. The fish became agitated. As a result, the earth quaked, so Allah anchored the mountains and made it stable. This is why Allah said, that he made for the earth firmly anchored mountains, lest it shake you up. 
Here it is. I can't draw that. That's as good as it gets, folks. I was folks. just going to ask you to draw it, Kirk. <laughs> so, I, I don't know how to top that. I don't. Good close. Uh, it's a good close. <laughs> We're going to stop with with Allah's version of one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. <laughs> and, and the shaking up of the, the earth. Oh, by the way, there there are Qurans that testify to this, so it's not just the Hadith. Um, no. And it is appropriate to mock this horrible book, this pretense of a god, this false prophet, because of events like October 7th, like uh, 9-1 of uh, 01. Muslims are demented slaves of Allah, bent on terrorizing and killing all mankind for their god. All good Muslims are terrorists until we acknowledge the nature of this demonic religion and hold it accountable as opposed to lashing out at symptoms like Hamas, Hezbollah, and Fatah, Muslims will continue to wreak vengeance, retribution, horrible devastation, not only on Jews, but all of mankind. And that is why we have the courage and the compassion to tell this story. May Yahweh bless. We, uh, we love him. We uh, ad- love being part of his family. And we love how different he is than this false god of Islam. May Yahweh bless. A wonderful Shabbat to you all. Good night. Good night, Good night. Good night, Kirk.